Well, this morning we are in Ephesians chapter 1, and if you have the notes that we've emailed out, or you can go to uh, my app, Brian Newberry, type that into the app store, and the Words of Encouragement app will come up, and you can see the notes. We email them out to everyone. You can just click on them and and pull them right up and and follow along, or just turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. We uh, have been looking there in verse 7 and 8. The redemption through his blood. Yeah, it took a blood sacrifice. It took God being the Lamb of God, his only begotten Son, and for him to be the innocent, without sin, without blemish, Lamb of God. We really are sinners. It's not an idea. It's not just a Judeo-Christian ethic, and therefore we all think these things are bad when they're probably not bad. It's just we've been conditioned to think they're bad. No, the whole world (laughs) has been made with the conscience of God, and we all know that sin is sin, and it's bad, and that we have eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes says that confirms that we're going to have to give an account of what we've done on our pilgrimage here on earth. And um, that, yes, man can forgive man, and that's a beautiful thing when we see that. But we have sinned against God, and we need his forgiveness. And he is offering it through being the sacrifice for us, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We could stay on that for a whole year, the riches of his grace. And then in verse 8, he made to abound towards us or lavished this upon us in all wisdom and prudence or intelligence. It's a practical application to that wisdom he's given us through those riches of grace. And we come to verse 9 today, and it says, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now, we look at the word mystery. In our vernacular today, we immediately think of Sherlock Holmes and the whodunit, right? The murder mystery. This is not what that word means at all. It doesn't mean that. It actually means something that was hidden is now no longer hidden. Or that which was veiled is now unveiled. In the Old Testament, concealed. Now in the New Testament, revealed. And if you've been a Christian for a while, there's no uh, mystery here to you. But to those who don't know the Lord, and especially the Jews whose eyes have been blinded, um, it's still quite a mystery to them who the Messiah is, or in their mind, will be. And uh, it's not a mystery to us whatsoever. Jesus taught us in Matthew 13 about this mystery. He said to the apostles and those who believed in him, he answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the king of heaven, but to them, those seeking righteousness by their own works, those Pharisees, those unbelieving, to them he has not 
it's not been given to know those mysteries. In Matthew 13, verse 16 and 17, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so we're told that all the prophets before, they prophesied in part. Understanding that this was a prophecy Understand it was about the Messiah, but not quite sure how it all fit in. And as you read through all the Old Testament, especially the Psalms and the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, they often didn't quite get how it all fell together. But now to us, it has been granted to our eyes and our ears to be so blessed. The mystery is what God is doing in the world. And here's a big part of the mystery. It's what God is doing in you and in your life as a believer. We're going to get to chapter 2, verse 10, where it says God has predestined ahead of time good works that we should walk in them. Doesn't say we're going to. He's saying there that there is a mystery for us every single day to say, Lord, why am I alive today? Why am I breathing? Why am I at this store rather than that store? Why am I buying gas here rather than there? Why is it I'm seeing that person and getting a moment with this person in the grocery store? What's happening? And we would be living consciously that God has good works in this day that he's predestined that I should walk in. And then to give us that ability to want to do his will. To will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what God's desire. So this is not a mystery to us any longer. And it's actively God's will in our life. So as we learned last week on this issue of the knowledge that he's lavished upon us, in verse 7 and 8, once again, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to be a bound to lavish towards us in all wisdom and prudence. So we look to the New Testament and we discover this word mystery. We, we, we see it in several different places, and I didn't put it in any particular order, but we see that the Messiah was a mystery, the work of Christ in human flesh to be our Savior. For the Jews, they see clearly um, the second coming of Christ when he come in in all glory and power as a ruling king. But there were so many verses that they don't know what to do with. For four years, I would go out every Sunday uh, and preach two services in the prison and then all day Monday. And often... The, the Jewish rabbi would be coming in as well. And we would get into this little room. Sometimes we'd be 10 minutes, sometimes it'd be two hours while they get things prepared for the various chaplains to go in. And it just gave me a wonderful time to ask the rabbi. <laughs> so, explain Isaiah 53 to me now. And he would give me these things and then I would ask, well, why, why does it, say him rather than the nation. He's talking about a person there. And then we'd go in and 
maybe a week or two later before we got put into the same room again. Hey, verse 5. Oh, I'd have to look at it. I happened to write it down. Here it is. And just to ask him questions and, and, and that unveiling slowly becoming or the veiling slowly becoming unveiling and, and him to realize I have no idea what Isaiah 53 is talking about. But I know you Christians believe that's talking about the first coming of Christ as a suffering servant. Yes, it, it does. Paul in a New Testament poem or song we don't know, but it's clearly something that was poetic or put to music in 1 Timothy 3.16 without controversy. There's no discussion on these points. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. He was perfect without spot, without blemish. Seen by angels before he was born, at his birth, at his, uh, several times in his life, we see angels appearing all the way up to his resurrection and uh, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Another mystery, all things are in Jesus, through Jesus, unto Jesus. In Ephesians 3, 9 to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and all things were made through Him. In John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things unto His hand. The first person of the Trinity is the Father. The second person of the Trinity is the Son. The third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit in that order. This is why Jesus says in John, the Father is greater than I. It's, it's a word strictly for authority, not for substance. He's not saying the Father is greater as God. No, he's simply saying in authority. There's an authority structure, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And it is the Father's will, it is the Father's desire. When Jesus joyfully listened to the Father and said, yes, I joyfully go and be a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It would be the Father's desire now that even though he's the first person of the Trinity, that all glory Praise and honor would now go unto the Son, who is the Savior of all men, who came in human flesh, resurrected in human flesh. He was earthly human flesh. Now he's a heavenly human flesh, just like we will be. He was the first to raise from the dead, and we will raise from the dead exactly like him, the Bible says. Little children, I don't know what we're going to be, but I know when we see him, we will be just like him forever. Our brethren, it says in Hebrews, according to this human flesh. Scars in his hand, scars upon his brow will remain throughout eternity, the Bible tells us. In John 5, 
he says this, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Why? Listen to verse John 5, 23, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent Him. So we see in, in John 3.35 that all things have been given into Jesus' hand. He specifically says now in John 5, all judgment is given into the hands of Jesus. So all come to honor the Son equal to the Father. In John 13.3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. What happens in that John 13? He gets up and he washes their feet. Do we get this? It wasn't just a carpenter from Nazareth who made good. <laughs> okay? Not too many good things come out of Nazareth, but we do have one superstar that came out of Nazareth. That's not the point here. It's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, even though he is humbled in human flesh at this moment, even though in a few hours he would be crucified, his nature is, even in heaven, even before all things were created, his nature is that of a humble servant. And even in the triunity, you see them preferring one another in love. The son preferring to the father, all that I say, it's the Father gives me. All that I do is that the Father gives me to speak. All that the Father gives me to do. All that would see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. Jesus in humility, preferring to the Father. Jesus, it not being this giant step down to wash their feet. He's saying, you call me Master and Lord, Rabbi, Rabboni. You are correct. And what is it to walk in the nature of God? We've all been made in His image. What does it look like when you're being the tallest, the highest, the greatest in this human body made in the image of God? It's being a servant. Jesus, knowing already before He was crucified, the Father had given all things to do His hand. All judgment, all power, all authority was already before the cross given from the Father into the Son's hand. And what did he do with all of that power and glory? He washed some fishermen's feet and said, man, if you get this, you will be the most blessed people on the earth. In Matthew 28, 18, what else do we learn about Jesus? He, the very last thing he says in Matthew, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And what does he say? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One name, baptizing them in the name. One God, we only have one God. The Lord our God is one Lord. And that one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, having been revealed in Jesus Christ, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, with all the power and authority 
we have nothing to fear because all the power and authority is for us, will never leave us. And we see in Philippians 2, Paul nailing at the Father's heart concerning his Son, the same heart we all are to have. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God, referring to the Father, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. This is what rejoices the Father now, is that we would look upon Jesus, our Lord, our Lamb, our husband, our brother, our Savior, our salvation, Yahshua, Joshua, we say in the English, Jesus in the Spanish, Yahshua in the Hebrew, God, Yahshua, salvation. The next mystery we see is that Christ would actually live in us. I'm just going to give one verse for this. Read the Gospel of John. It says it many times, especially chapters 14, 15, and 16, and then the very last chapter of John 20. But in John, in Colossians 1:27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What are the riches of the glory of the greatest mystery unto us? What's that great mystery among the Gentiles? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That the moment we believed, God didn't seal us with a stamp. God didn't seal us like the king would do with some wax from a candle and a ring. How did the Lord seal us as his ownership, as his guarantee that he would come back to get it? With his Holy Spirit who lives in us to empower us, to strengthen us. This is a great mystery that the moment you believe God's Spirit comes to live and abide with you to never leave you nor forsake you. The fourth thing that's the mystery in the gospel is the gospel itself. In Ephesians 6, 19, And for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Gospel, good news. Now, I, I understand. I, I was raised in a denominational church. And to be honest with you, the gospel they preached wasn't good news. I was in torment, always losing my salvation, I believed, according to the doctrine. And every Sunday I was tormented, going towards Sunday. What if the rapture comes on Saturday night and I can't get to church on Sunday morning and, and go forward and kneel at the altar and give my life back to Christ? I'm in trouble. And then I remember a message, go out in all the world and share. And I thought, I wouldn't want to share this with my worst enemy. Because I am tormented over knowing Jesus who's unsaving me every Sunday night or Monday morning. <laughs> Do you understand? If, if salvation is not a gift from God and the gifts of God are irrevocable, they never change, then it's not a gospel. 
It's not good news. That's the only variation that's good news. Because if there's the gospel given, in other words, I am saved from my sins permanently, that's good news. But if I'm saved from my sins, as far as I now live an obedient life, I'm dead. If there's just one way to mess this thing up, that's all it took Adam and Eve, and they weren't even in sinful bodies. If there's one way, I will find it. So will you. But the gospel is, whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. Period. Not a comma, as long as you walk obediently, as long as you're fully submitted, as long as Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life every single day. This this is the, the thing. It's like you don't lose it necessarily in some doctrines, but you've got to prove that you're the elect. You've got to prove that you're worthy of it. So I received this gift of God, but now I'm proving that I'm not worthy of it. And I think everybody knows it. I'm trouble. That's not good news, is it? You can take and look at the work of Christ in any way you want. There's only one presentation that's good news. And that is, I don't have to do anything to get it. I don't have to do anything to keep it. My good words don't make it a sure thing. My bad works don't make it fade away. The only way the gospel is good news, if it's a gift of God, apart from works. It doesn't say apart from bad works. It doesn't say apart from good works. It says apart from any kind of work, right? We're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. And then it gets emphatic. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. In 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us the gospel is so simple. It only has three components. Christ died for our sins. It doesn't go into, you need to study the Hebrew and understand your Jewish lineage and understand Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and know all the prophecies of Isaiah. A matter of fact, for the Gentile church, he doesn't tie it into any Judaism. He just simply says, Christ, the Messiah, died for your sins. This is according to the scriptures. Second, he was buried. Third, he rose again the third day. All of this according to the scriptures. You got to believe God's word is true. But if you believe God's word is true, that Christ died for your sins, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, then you are saved. Acts 20 verse 24 calls it the gospel of grace. In Hebrews 10 Verse 11 through 13, I'm going to read those verses. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will what? Not be put to shame. Somebody believes on the Lord and then the day of judgment comes and it's like, I know you've been believing, you've been saved for 50 years. But I'm looking at 50 years and about 27 of those years, and when I add them up, you know, when you weren't sleeping, uh, you know, even though you had some pretty bad dreams, we won't count that against you. But 20, 
you know, 23 out of the 27 years were, were pretty unfruitful and sort of, you know, man, you had, a, you had a good 10-year spot there where you were really sort of lukewarm and, and, and you really didn't read the Bible much. Your, your attendance at church was spotty. And so you understand why I'm having to send you to hell. It makes sense to you now, right? Oh, absolutely, Lord. Hey, believe me, if God thinks I go to hell, he, absolutely, I deserve hell. I, I should be in the worst part of hell. I should be right next to the devil. Me and him, the two evilest people that have ever lived on this planet. I know my depravity. But Jesus says, according to the scripture, and every word of God is true. God does not lie. All the scripture has been proven. It is the fingerprint of God on planet earth, the Bible. It is God's DNA, his scriptures. And he says, whoever believes. Well, what about the thief on the cross? Yeah, that guy never had to go to church. He never had to suffer through one of Brian's sermons. And he still gets to go to heaven? Sheesh, man, sign me up for that deal. That sounds pretty good. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to live for God at all. I just, you know, hang on a cross, die, and I'm in heaven. You see how the gospel, if it's about bad works, are you approving your worth by good works? Do you see how quickly it becomes this ugly thing? But if the gospel is whoever believes will never be put to shame, period. Whoever believes in Jesus who paid for my sins and rose again conquering my sins, that's it, will not perish but have everlasting life. That's a good word. Romans 10, verse 11 again, the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. So if you look in Romans 10, 9, 10, and 11, he talks about how the Jews are God's chosen people and he's choosing them to the end. Heaven itself is, is created very Jewish. You have, you have pillars and placements all over representing the 12 tribes of Israel and, and of our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. And you look going, man, God's faithful Israel, man. They, they, they disobeyed him. Read the whole Old Testament. It's just a, it's thousands of years of these guys just spitting in God's face. It's thousands of years of them knowing God doesn't want me to worship anybody but him, but they go worship the worst gods and they burn their babies to death. And this goes on for years. Read Psalms 106. We get to the end of the Old Testament and they're just like, everything God asks is a burden. And I'm just tired of having to serve God. It's just, he's just wrecking me. And God's just like, okay, we're done. 400 years of silence. John the Baptist came on the scene saying, Behold the Lamb of God. Man can't save himself. Even with all the scriptures, even with all the promises, even with all the patriarchs and kings and prophets, miracles happen through these men. Mighty deeds go on from Moses all the way through Elijah and Elisha and so forth. That no matter how 
Nothing can save man. Man can't have some words sufficient enough to cause him to not be human, a human sinful machine. There's no promises God can give that will stop us from being this sinful human machine. So we come to the New Testament, it says, God seeking man, God is saving man. All you do is have faith to say, I believe that this is enough, just believing. That God does all the work, that God does all the saving, God does all the purifying, God keeps me pure, God puts his word in my heart. I can't even get his word in my heart. He has to give me a new heart of flesh. He's got to give me the Holy Spirit in me. And then God gives me this heart of flesh, puts the Holy Spirit in me, and now he begins to carve it upon my heart. All of it, him doing. Where Jesus had it right. We, all we can do at best, and even this we don't do very good, is just abide in him just a branch hanging out in the vine, abiding. And even then, apart from him, we can do no good works. But as we abide, we know we can bear many, many good works, even in this weak, sinful body. Well, Romans 10, now verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. It doesn't say we'll start the process of salvation. It doesn't say it has an opportunity to be saved. It says it's done in one second. Past forgiven. Present God's blood is constantly cleansing us from all our sin. And the future, we're already seated together with him in heavenly places, studying his grace for eternity in an instant. When that thief on the cross said, Jesus, Yeshua, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When? Future tense. He believed Jesus is the Lord and God raised him from the dead. He would do it. Right that moment, that thief on the cross, his sins were forgiven the moment Christ died and rose again. His sins are forgiven. In the Old Testament, everybody was forgiven looking to the cross. In the New Testament, we're all forgiven looking back to the cross. This thief was like right there. <laughs> he was right there on the line. Moments away from Jesus dying, three days from him raising again, but it was already like all the Old Testament saints who had faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had faith in the Messiah that God would give them who would take away all their sins the Messiah who would take their sins and bury them in the deepest sea, scatter them far as the east as the west. They all had faith in that Messiah. And so when Jesus died, he went down into the earth, preached the gospel for three days, had a harvest crusade without Greg Laurie. And, and everybody got the whole mystery solved. Jesus sat down there for three days, giving them the mystery revealed. What was concealed is now revealed. And he led captivity captive. All those in that holding place of Sheol were set free. So now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So once you believe on God, you're saved. The future is not your enemy. 
Your fleshliness is not your enemy. Your sin is not your enemy. None of those things will conquer the power of God's cross, death and resurrection. But now as a believer, I'm so thankful. He's lavishing on us the wisdom of what it means to be saved. I'm going to heaven. No matter what tomorrow brings, neither life nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come will separate me from the love of God. Do you see how he solves that issue? He has to solve that issue or we're not walking in the grace. We're not enjoying the grace. We're not enjoying the fellowship with God. God, I thank you, but I'm also so worried about yesterday's sin. And I, I, I told you I would stop like three months ago. And I, I did for like eight days in a row. Remember that? I was really good. But then I've been struggling up and down and up and down. And I get three days and I struggle again. And, and I don't know if I've seen the worst I'm going to be yet on this earth. Boy, I sure hope that I have. Amen to that. But even if there is some sin out there that I am shocked at, Christ has already paid for it on the cross. We'll never be put to shame. Just like Jesus, or just like the Lord elected Israel, and he's going to keep with them, with them, he's going to create seven-year tribulation period to save all the Jews. And all Jews on the earth will, will believe in that tribulation period. And he'll start a new Israeli nation in the millennial reign. We're now on the throne of David, but yet it'll be Christ, the son of David, who will be ruling and reigning on the earth. We see God not stopping with the Jews ever. He elected them through Abraham and his descendants. And we see through the scripture in the book of Revelation, God never stops his faithfulness towards Israel even to the end of times, the rapture of the church, he spent seven years focused on saving Israel. And then the end comes. And then all the promises that he had promised to Israel that are yet to be fulfilled, he'll spend a thousand years fulfilling those promises until every scripture was, has been fulfilled in Christ. Well, what's another thing we see? Another mystery. Number five, the New Testament church is a combination of Jews and Gentiles together into one body. This is the main mystery he reveals out of Ephesians. In verse three through six, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. In verse five here, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, it has now been revealed by the Spirit and His holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. In Ephesians 5.32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, that Jesus' bride is half Jewish, half Gentile. <laughs> And it's his bride is one church united in him that all Gentiles are adopted into the Jewish heritage, 
We all are, when we as Gentiles believe, we are adopted as children of Abraham. Isn't that awesome? So, shalom. What's the sixth thing? Satan is re- resisting what God is trying to do in this world. Is there any mystery there? We just got to remember this one. We start yelling at each other and start getting mad at, you know, political groups and all these kind of things. But why? We, it's all Satan. We, we know that. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, right? So people say, well, who do you think is going to win? The same people that always I pray to win the election. Here's who I pray for the election who will win. Whatever God needs to do to bring my neighbors to receive him. That's it. For us as Christians, that should be the only thing that matters to us. Hearts that are closed would be open to hear Jesus. Hearts that are full of pride would be humbled unto Jesus. Whatever it takes to stop everybody on their little mousetraps going around in a circle like hamsters. Can I talk to you? No. You know, I got a soccer game. I got a football game. I got TV. I got, you know. I can't, I can't even stop them. And they're just riding high. The money's flowing. They're working. They're doing. They're going, 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 going. And they, they, they have moments when things are stopped or they're going, the most important thing is I'm not right with God. And I don't even have time to think about that. Oh, I got to get back on the ra- mousetrap. Here I go again. All we want is for people to sense the need to be forgiven of their sins and for that door to be open that we can share Jesus. That's all that should matter us on this earth. Amen? So God makes the rich, God makes the poor. Every season, season to sow, a season to harvest. There's gonna be a season to live and a season to die. But somewhere in the midst of all of this, that I have loved everybody I was supposed to love, that I've given every hug I was supposed to have given, that I was bold and opened my mouth and simply said what the Holy Spirit has been saying to them. God loves you and wants to forgive you. Jesus did all the work. You need to believe upon him. That's all that should matter to us. Satan, he's always working overtime. You think Trump is a hard worker? <laughs> Satan is a much harder worker. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.7, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, that's us, believers, will do so until he is taken out of the way. We're at work until the rapture comes. Then Satan is going to have car blanche. Right now, he can't deceive the world because we're in the way. We're in here preaching the truth. You think Satan minds a handful of his people here in Los Alamitos meeting? Believe me, he is angry about this group. Man, I, I, I have seen it where, you know, we, in San Diego, we have a big cross up on a hill in a really nice area. A guy owned property and put it up years ago to the uh, war veterans. 
And the ACLU, the entire time I lived in San Diego from 1979 until last year, they have never stopped trying to get that cross off the hill. But I'll go to a pastor's conference and there's a guy out in the middle of Kansas and there's a little hill out there and they've got this little tiny cross. No, probably two people a year see it. And the ACLU is trying to get that cross off of that hill too. You're just going, you've got to be kidding. Nobody even knows it's there except for you, ACLU. Thank you for pointing everybody to the cross. Satan, Satan doesn't want to get up, give an inch. He doesn't want a little tiny wooden cross on one little inch anywhere. How much more us gathering together in Jesus' name? <laughs> so what do you think Satan's going to do if you open your mouth and start sharing with your, your neighbors? You need to get ready, right? Satan's not going to take that laying down. The seventh thing that's a mystery is the complete plan of Israel. And I just talked about that a minute ago. But let me read Romans eleven twenty five. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel unless the fullness of Gentiles has come in. So there are Christians today that say God's thrown away Israel. Every time you see Israel now in the Old Testament and New Testament, replace that with the New Testament church. God is done with Israel. That's what they actually teach. Some very conservative Bible teachers. No, we do not believe in that replacement theology. This is exactly what this verse is saying. Don't get prideful in saying, oh yeah, Israel's old news. You read Romans 19 11, he said, no, Israel is always on God's mind. They are always God's chosen people. They will never stop being God's chosen people. Why? Because he elected them. Three things in the Bible were the elect. Israel, Jesus, and the New Testament believers. The church. We are God's elect. And so I've already talked about the tribulation, the millennial period, and all God's plan to bring Israel to salvation. The eighth and the final mystery that we see in the scripture is the rapture of the church and our new heavenly bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I love that when they put that in the nursery. Um, <laughs> in a moment, verse 52, In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trump will sound, the dead will raise incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this incorruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And so... As things are going on right now, guys, we have all kinds of things in Matthew, throughout the Old Testament, book of Revelation, all through the epistles that tell us the season that we would be in when the rapture would come. And guys, we're there. The gospel would go to the four corners of the world. It's happening now, more than ever. It already happened a few years back. Yeah, there in, in Peru, the groups that translate the Bibles, we actually bought their property. They said, yeah, we're leaving Peru because everybody in the whole world now, their language, we, they, we have a Bible in their language. Isn't that amazing? There is a Bible in every language on the earth, even if it's just a couple hundred people out in the middle of a jungle in New Guinea. They got a Bible in their name. 
great thing. If you haven't ever watched this from New Tribes Mission, there's a thing, and you can watch it, I believe, on YouTube. Is it on YouTube? It's called ETOW. E-E-T-O-U. It's like 20 minutes. It will change your life. But this is a group in New Guinea who hear about Jesus for the first time. And they first help them learn their language, and they translate the, lang- they translate the Bible, then they preach the gospel. It, it, will, it will change your life forever. That, how, how long is it, remember? 24 minutes. It'll change your life, Etau. New Tribes Mission, Etau. But anyway, um, that, what was I talking about now? How did I get to there? The rapture. Yes, we are in the last days, the signs of the time. We're going to and fro throughout the earth. One of the things the Antichrist is going to do right at the beginning is change times and seasons. We are there. My uh, big parts of the nation right now, it's like it's December. They're getting so much snow. When we got record heat waves just a, a few weeks back, Climes, climate's changing. Yeah, I, I agree. It's all part of the times and the seasons. But more than anything, we see the spirit of the Antichrist. One thing you'll see in every newspaper in the world the power grab of authority in the world. Every nation, whether they had the right to do it or not, there is a massive power grab. I always wondered how the Antichrist so quickly could get to become over all the world, the kingdoms of the world, and start a one-world monetary system, a one-world military, and a one-world religion. Well, you see now how easy it is. You, you, just, you have a pandemic, the Bible said that, Wars, rumors of wars, pestilence is one of them. And boom, in, in literally a few months, you, you, they've, they've gotten power that didn't matter what constitution they have throughout the world, they have much more power than ever was supposed to happen. And they're not letting go of it, folks. Let me tell you one thing about politics. Once you get taxes coming in, you start getting the money, they never stop. And then once you get power, you never give it up. They got to pry it from your hands. So we're, we're in those times. I, I just had a coffee with Brian Broderston of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa this last week, a week ago. And he goes, man, you know, we always talked about, you know, the end times, how exciting it'll be. And now we're in it and it's boring. I mean, we're sitting at home, we're stuck at home. Pestle, I mean, we always thought of it being like, you know, we're having to run from bush to bush because they're going to try to get me. And it's like, hold on, that's, that's in the tribulation person. Tribulation periods when all that persecution happens. Before the tribulation, Satan's just going to bore us to death. I, I had a couple of really good friends. That was their testimony. I'd work, I'd go to the bar, I'd get drunk. I'd wake up the next morning, I'd go work, I'd go to the bar, I'd get drunk. And after a few years of that, I was like in my mid-20s going, I'm going to shoot myself because I'm just bored to death. And then they got born again, and God saved them from boredom. Satan's a boring person. His thing, he just wants to control you, make you hate God, be an atheist, sin, whatever he needs to do. And then he just lets you bore yourself to death. Just let you click the talks away on the clock until you're dead. We're in Christ. We have freedom. And it's exciting. It's an adventure if we'll join him in that. 
Well, these mysteries have been lavishly known in all wisdom to us, and we got to end with this verse 9, the next phrase, according to his good pleasure. Boy, Satan is always trying to rip us off on this one. He always wants you to think that God is a little bit disappointed in you, a little perturbed, that when you pray to him, it's sort of like, what do you want? I just answered some prayers 10 minutes ago and you want you praying again? It's just the complete opposite of what we know to be truth, but yet emotionally, he tries to get us in a dark place. But we should never forget this. All of this that Christ has done for us, for you, you are part of the mystery. Jesus in John 17 said, Father, I don't just pray for these 11 apostles here with me right now, but I pray for everybody who will believe through their word. Jesus was thinking about you when he was still on earth. And he now ever lives to make intercessions for you. Revelation says he has a special name that he's going to give you that only you and him will know. Jesus doesn't do this because he's got to save these bunch of stinking sinners. It's irritating. I had to die. Look at these cars. No, it was the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. And now it's the joy to hear you pray. It's the joy to forgive your sins. It's the joy to strengthen you in the Holy Spirit. It's a joy to him to see you blossom and grow to be more and more fruitful. I love Zephaniah 317. I think he nails the heart of God more than any place. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Not only according to his good pleasure, but according to his purpose in himself. We'll be talking more about this as we go on in Ephesians. But in Isaiah 14, 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it will come to pass. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. Isn't it great to know? when everything is falling apart or going crazy or satanic attack or earthly difficulties, that we know that God already knew about it before it happened. Do you ever do that? It's sort of like, hey, there's nothing happening that God didn't already know about it and didn't already have a plan to turn it around for good. All of this is exactly as God had saw it to happen. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things that were not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. And then, of course, one of the New Testament favorites on that purpose, on that topic, the purpose. In 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and called us with his holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. When? Before time began. Or literally, from vanishing point unto vanishing point. God has known you and seen you from the end to the beginning. What is this great mystery towards you? It's this simple. 
God's grace sent Jesus, God's son, to earth to redeem us from our sins. Secondly, he has opened our eyes to see that truth. Third, that plan was that we would receive him and follow him. There it is. His mystery towards you. How does this get done? How does this plan of good pleasure, this purpose of God in his mystery gets done? Here's how it gets done. He shared the truth with 12 disciples. He went to a multitude of disciples and shared. Then the multitude of disciples shared it with others. Then someone in your world 2,000 years later became a disciple and shared it with you. Now this is the mystery of his will for you, that you would now go and share it and make disciples as you are a disciple. All this truth is in Christ. We're going to see this mentioned over 13 times in Ephesians 1. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. All of this has been done in Christ by his grace, by his power, by his love, by his holiness, by his righteousness, by his sanctification, by his strength. In Christ, all this has been done. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded here it is, light to shine out of darkness, the mysteries of God coming out of the darkness, who now has shown in our hearts to give us this light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Here it is, in the face of Jesus, of his fullness we've all received. We've seen God through his son, Jesus. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. There's one God, and that one God fully in the Son, in human flesh, in the face of Jesus, all this knowledge of his love for man, of his desire to save man, of his desire to see man come to follow him. Can you remember back being in darkness and not understanding this mystery of his will? Now, I was raised in the church. So I can remember all the way back, four or five years old, and Mrs. Stoops and her husband, Mr. Stoops, doing a flannel graph. I mentioned that the day, and the millennials are going, what is a flannel graph? I just thought that was a common, it's a piece of cloth, like a picture of Jesus in cloth, and you put it on a big board of cloth, and it stays there, you know? And you tell the story of the Bible, and you put sheep on there, and a star, and whatever you need to tell the story. We were mesmerized with that. Okay, we didn't even have colored televisions at that time. That's another story. Very colorful. But many times she shared the gospel, and many times I'm just like, I want that. So I, I grew up not knowing anything but the truth. So I never was really in that big of darkness at three. I was a terror, don't get me wrong. But, uh, but I know so many who have come to Christ and they, after a few years, realize, wow, that person, that neighbor of mine, that coworker, that guy in the grocery store, that guy on the beach, what he did was hard. 
Him coming up to somebody he didn't know that well and telling them God loves them and that we're, I'm a sinner and he died and rose again. I know it only takes like two minutes, but I realized how spiritual it was, how deep into darkness I was. I remember people saying, I'll pray for you. Don't pray for me. I'll beat your head in if you pray for me. I, I can remember being in darkness going, those Christians are a bunch of idiots, a bunch of losers. Hollywood has been preaching that for 30 years, right? Every, every Christian church is a bunch of weirdo, cult, hypocrites. We're the bunch of deviates getting together, acting holy. That's, that's what the world's thinking. That's in their darkness. But yet think how much love you feel towards those who stepped out of their comfort zone and told you. A light has shone through God, through his son, Jesus Christ, and he personally wants you to be saved and be forgiven. I just simply end with these two verses. Love your neighbor as yourself. What would you want to do? What would you want if you were in darkness right now? Matthew 10:8. Freely you have received what? Freely give. Lord, we come as we are in this season, Lord, of being a disciple. Every sermon seems to come with that tone of your spirit challenging us over and over again to be a disciple, to share our faith, and be ready to share how to walk as a Christian after that. Lord, we just see today the mystery. For most of us, not one of these things was unknown to us. We're constantly getting it lavished on us with more insight, more knowledge. But we thank you, Lord. If there's any here today that doesn't know the Lord, you've heard the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You are wanting a savior because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I want you to forgive me, Lord. Forgive me through your work of Christ. I believe in you. That's it. Your name is in the book of life. Christ's Holy Spirit is in you. And now you have the joy to follow him. And Lord, cause all of us to grow deeper and deeper in the knowledge of you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.